Happy, Happy New, New Year, Year, guys. Happy New Year. Yes. <laughs> it's it's 11.58 and we're filming. Yes. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> we, we, we all just wore the same clothes as last week. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. God forbid. All right. This is a good episode. It will be, but before we get there, for everybody who yes. enjoys what we do, you need to like, subscribe, and hit notifications um, so that you can support the, the work we're doing and, uh, and help us continue giving you all this important information. Mm -hmm. and, and this is, uh, that we're gonna talk about search and seizure. Liam's gonna take the lead on this. But we've had um, comments come in from viewers who say they really enjoy learning more about the law. So it's gonna be continuing education for our viewers uh, so we can help you learn more about the law. Mm -hmm. So search and seizure, what, you know, why is this important? Why is this important? Like, why shouldn't the police just be able to search my car or my person or my house? Like, I got nothing to hide. Why do I care? Well, yeah, fam famous last words until the police find all that incriminating evidence. Um, so, well, the reason that you should care, Joe, um, and I know that you do care, I given do. that you're, a, you're I'm a, being facetious. a devoted advocate for the defense. Um, the reason you should care is because, uh, like, at least here and in other places, it's constitutionally protected. You have a constitutional right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. Um, in and we're going to give some real examples yeah. at the end. In, in Canada, that's uh, protected by Section 8 of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In uh, other places, um, for instance, in the... Which has a Section 1. Uh, yes, that's true, well, although with respect to... I hate Section 1. Huh, section 1, <laughs> it makes sense, but that's for another podcast. We'll, we'll explain yeah. this. <laughs> this is, we're talking about search and seizure first, yeah. 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 In, in the States, it's Fourth Amendment jurisprudence is how it's often uh, yep. discussed. And then in the UK, the UK does not have a... Charter. Written or a constitution. constitution. Yeah. Well, they, they have a constitution. Of but, kind. Uh, of, 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 of a sort. Yeah. Um, but as I understand it, uh, a lot of the um, your rights against search and seizure in the UK are contained in uh, what's called the PACE Act, which is police and criminal evidence uh i think i might be wrong about that but it's definitely pace but in canada there section is eight. section eight of our charter mm -hmm. that prevents the police from searching your home your person or any place where you have a privacy interest um, unless they have grounds for it and yeah. you need to explain the difference between what why we have this term unreasonable explain what a search is what a mm -hmm. seizure is what is unreasonable and, you know, how does yeah, this we, flow? We talked about this earlier and mm -hmm. you broke it, you laid it out, I think, really well. Where you are saying there's three aspects you need to look at. One is, what is a search? What is a seizure? And what is unreasonable? Okay. So, the wording of Section 8 states that everyone has the right to be free from a reasonable search and seizure, as Diana has uh, just helpfully introduced. So, let, let's start with searching, okay? It's what it sounds like. So normally the police cannot show up at your door, force, them, force themselves inside and start turning out your cabinets. They, they can't do that. They can't storm your house. <laughs> no, they very much can't do that. They, or your car. But like far, far be it Maybe. from just the house. A house is like sort of the prototypical. And it's also the most sacred yeah. of property privacy rights we have. Mm -hmm. Traditionally in North America and the UK, your home is your castle. Mm -hmm. And it's I was going to say, your home is your castle. Where you have the, the highest privacy interest. And it's a, in a lot of cases that involve sort of people or the police coming into um, private spaces, 
you can tell that it's a really sacred rite when they start breaking out quotes from William Pitt the Elder in 1690. It's like, oh, the King of England cannot enter. No, uh-huh. The wind may enter, the lightning may enter, but the king cannot. That, that kind of thing. That's come up in more than one Supreme Court case, that exact quote. I, I, I can say I have not used I, that. I, I, I got to say that <laughs> I, love when, I love when the courts quote Monty Python. <laughs> it that's, does, that's, that's, that's more it effective. Does, it, it does happen quite yeah. often, actually. <laughs> so, but let, let, let's go beyond just your house. Right. In Canada, the police can't just stop you on the street and uh, frisk you. Stop and frisk is unconstitutional in Canada. Okay, so let's pause there for one second yeah. so that people understand. Yeah, so... You're walking down the street, mm-hmm. and the police can't just stop you no. and search you. No. Because you look suspicious. Well, based on depends. what? Based it depends. On what? Yeah. We, we all knew what the carding there issues were. There are things were. like plain mm-hmm. sight, right? No, we're just talking about yeah. somebody walking down the street. So plain sight is actually, that's why I said it's not always that clear. If they look into a car and they see a gun yeah. <laughs> sitting on a seat with a bag of marijuana, they right. can seize it. Because yeah. it's plain sight, they see yeah. it. But let's start with something basic. Because people ask these questions. Mm-hmm. You're walking down the street. Can the police stop you? Well, they can stop and try and talk to you. Yeah, they're allowed to They're allowed to try and talk to you. You don't have to talk to them, though. And do you have to give them your name? Generally, no. Okay. Generally, no. If, if you're under arrest, then yes. If you're driving, yes. Um, but generally speaking, if you're just walking down the street, it's like, uh, hi uh, there, sir. Um, can you provide me with some ID and let me know what you're doing in the area? You can say... No. I'll give you a donut. And keep walking. <laughs> right. I don't want to aggravate So that's them. important. Well, we know cops like donuts. Are, is there a basis <laughs> in which you could be detained <laughs> while walking down the street? And what do the police have to have in order to do that and then to eventually try and arrest you? Well, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but essentially they need to have reasonable and probable grounds to think that you've committed an offense. Right. In, in, in the circumstances, in which case they're allowed to detain you. Um, in certain other uh, cases, they're allowed to do what's called an investigative detention, uh, which is not an arrest. You haven't been charged. There are some very limited... This is so technical. I'm sorry. Yes, exactly. So I, I just want to get you to use, like, normal language. That... Okay. So it's... It's hard to do. Yeah. Well, no. And I mean, again, that demonstrates why we have jobs. Um, but, uh... Which I'd like to maintain. <laughs> yeah, everyone stop watching. Don't stop watching. Please, subscribe. Um, but... And hit uh, notifications. <laughs> um, so, but, no, generally speaking, police cannot just stop you, um, and start searching you. Um, th- and there's different degrees of privacy in different places. Uh, so it depends on where you are. If you're, uh, for instance, a high school student and you have a locker, you have some privacy there. You don't have that much privacy there. You certainly don't have as much privacy in your high school locker as you do your home. You don't have as much privacy in your backpack as you do your home, but you still have these privacy rights, which the police, generally speaking, uh, unless it's a certain circumstance which, which makes getting a warrant impracticable, um, they cannot just start going through your stuff. So let's just break down a couple examples for fun. So let's say the police... Well, uh, I, I just want to actually, because something crossed my mind, and, mm-hmm. and I'm asking this because I don't actually know the answer yeah, to okay. it. Cool. Um, so you were saying you don't have to give them your name. What mm-hmm. happens if you give the wrong name? Well, that's a good point. A- a- excellent question. That's bad. That's don't bad. give the wrong name. <laughs> don't yeah. lie to a police officer. It can be public okay. mischief, mm-hmm. you know, or, or you know, obstruction of justice. Maybe, uh, you know, impersonation. 
So let's give an example. You know, police are called, they're dispatched to a stabbing. Mm -hmm. And the person's described as being uh, five foot ten, um, you know, a reddish beard, a Caucasian male running down the street with a knife that has blood on it. Do you really think that I'm five foot ten, Joe, and that my beard's, my beard's red? It's reddish. It is so. reddish. Okay, I'll yeah, yeah. accept Are that. you at six foot? Yeah, that's what I put on my dating profile. As well. Oh, I'm still so sorry. There. Okay. Um, but, you know, police police arrive quickly on scene. They see somebody matching description running down the street with a, a, a knife in their hand with blood dripping from it. Mm-hmm. Well, they have grounds to certainly detain and arrest yeah. that individual. So these are all degrees of what the police may observe, what information they may have to show that they have reasonable grounds to stop somebody and detain them. I actually remember them. when I was a teenager. Um, you a ran police... down the street with a blade? No, I didn't have a bloody knife or anything like that, but I was walking with somebody and he and, and the guy I was with matched the description of somebody they were looking for and they actually pulled over and asked us a few questions and so on. They were quite polite. Yeah, I, I, you know, on those types of situations, you may find that, you know, it's not invasive at all. We're just like, They're we're just going, asking what happened? Questions. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> like, it was clear from your reaction. It was just like, I don't know. But, you know, so you raise a good example, um, you know, there's different degrees of privacy, whether it's your home, mm-hmm. your car, uh, if you're uh, in school, your locker or your backpack. Mm-hmm. And, and there's degrees of privacy and degrees of information that police may have that may allow them to conduct a search. Mm-hmm. Let's throw another technical term in here for one second. Exigent circumstances. Exigent circumstances. Okay. So break say, it down into some English. I've say, never even heard this phrase. This yeah. is cool. Emergency <laughs> circumstances. So let's say... The police are out minding their own business, walking down um, the street, beat, that kind of thing. Uh, They see an individual with a, let's say, a freezer bag that's full of what appears to be cocaine. Severed heads? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, no, no. It, ma- it matters that it's cocaine here, okay? okay. It's not uh, Halloween. Like a, okay. a, a freezer bag, like pretty I've been full. been watching too much Netflix. <laughs> Sorry. Of what appears to be cocaine. That's a fairly large amount of cocaine, a trafficking quantity. So it's of like a giant glad bag that you can see through and it looks like cocaine. Yeah. They see the individual with this large freezer bag go into a house uh, or go towards a house, and then the police say, stop police the individual runs into the house closes the door in those circumstances the police have a reason to believe that someone is about to destroy some evidence of a crime because well yeah that's probably thousands of dollars worth of cocaine in that bag um it sounds like a real case you're talking about no no this is just something off off the top off of the my top head. of your head <laughs> make an, an, an obvious example because everybody who deals cocaine walks around with a clear freezer bag <laughs> But. Not not the successful ones. Yeah, um, but that that can. There's a lot of there's a lot of like what do they call that like the awards that they give out for idiots. Yeah, the Darwin Awards. Darwin Awards. That's only if you manage to kill yourself. Um, but like that, all that cocaine can go down the toilet in minutes. There there is not enough time to go before a justice and get a warrant. There isn't even enough time to call a justice and get a warrant. So in that in those circumstances, yes, they would. Like there would be a charter application about it, you're going to argue about it. But in those cases, in that case, I would think that the police are likely going to have be found to have acted reasonably in yeah. those. So I actually, police... there's a real case that I that I read where there was a domestic violence situation going on, and there was lots of evidence that this this woman in the home was being severely beaten. Mm-hmm. And when the police came in, the guy took off down the stairway and went down to the basement. So they 
they they broke their way into the basement, followed him down, and they found a whole bunch of evidence of other crimes. And yeah. that was deemed to be an appropriate pursuit because they were, you know, they, they had reason to believe this guy had committed a crime. They're in hot pursuit of an individual that they have reasonable grounds to believe has been involved in a crime. So you can have a number of reasons to have what's called a warrantless mm -hmm. entry into a home or another location where you have a privacy interest. And that could be to prevent the destruction of evidence for protection of an individual who you believe is being assaulted or harmed or could be killed. Mm -hmm. um, and so for life and, and protection and any other circumstances? Uh, the only other one that comes to mind off the top of my head is officer safety. You know, if you have a reason to believe that there's an individual in that house and there's a vantage point and they have a firearm or something and they're going to start taking shots at officers, in that case, yes, you're allowed to go in. Otherwise, to search a person's home or car or maybe phone, which is seized, mm -hmm. they need a what? A search warrant. A search warrant. For a prior judicial authorization. And how do uh, how does a police officer obtain a search warrant? Again, the uh, operative word there is judicial. So, um, if we go all the way back to Hunter and Suffolk. Uh, oh, don't don't do that to our viewers. Don't do that to our <laughs> no. viewers. Okay, then. Well, or me. <laughs> as much as as much as I love the Wait, combined let's, let's talk investigation. about the word information because I think <laughs> it's, it's one of these terms. It's like. You don't expect it was like somebody swears an information so, or lays an information well, or an information to obtain. Okay, yeah. So let's explain this. We're, we're, we're going to get there. So a search warrant is essentially it's a it's a court or court order court document set giving the police lawful authority to enter into a place and search it. By order of a judge. By, well, not necessarily by order of a judge. Right. Uh, like, it, it depends on... be a on, justice of the peace. It depends on the kind of warrant, but... It's a judicial officer, mm -hmm. so you can have... It's not just the police saying, hey, I agree with myself. Yes. Yeah. So let's break it down. So, so the police could go before... Let's say it's searching a home. They could go before a judge mm -hmm. and seek authorization for a warrant to search a house. Mm -hmm. In, uh, or if they want to, uh, for example, search bank accounts... Mm -hmm. They would get something called a production order, very similar or to the a emergency act. <laughs> <laughs> We've covered that one. Um, and in order to do that, Diana, you raised a good issue. What's an information to obtain? What do the police have to say to this judicial officer, or provide them with in order to try and get that warrant? Diana, Diana raised um, an, an interesting point in terms of just the, the way that we use words, such as a capital I information. Now, yeah. just your information simpliciter is sorry. Uh, a, a, a just an information. We'll teach you how to speak English soon, okay? <laughs> I'm relearning. Law school did this to me. So just a plain old information is a charging document. The police lay an information against Liam Thompson, hey, saying give, give that he a... did commit assault uh, uh, against Mr. Smith on or about the the 20th day of December. An that's a charging document. That's a charging document. An information to obtain is a little bit different. An information to obtain is... <laughs> an information to obtain is a sworn statement by a police officer um, effectively setting out three things. That they have... The, reason uh, to believe. Where they have reason to believe that a certain offense has been committed. They have reason to believe that certain evidence of that offense uh, will be found Supports in this place. Yeah. Um, and then they essentially set out in 
some in, in a pretty like minuscule detail, uh, depending on on the case. Some some better than others. Yes, some better than others. And that's what the difference between a strong warrant and a weak warrant, mm-hmm. and how we reasonable can attack warrants. Yeah. But 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 in a lot of cases, as you're saying, this information to obtain, which is the basically a story from a police officer, can be very detailed, mm-hmm. and can be based on evidence other than what the officer knows he or herself mm-hmm. personally, but can be from other officers that he believes to be true. Mm-hmm. And, the ju- and the judge will assume essentially that what the the officer is saying in their information is correct. Yeah, yeah, but but a judge or, or a justice of the peace can ask questions mm-hmm. and can be skeptical if there are certain issues that they don't feel is borne out appropriately in the information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they, if they can deny it, they can send the police back to re-prepare a new information to obtain. That, that, those are all options, but the, the big point is that the police need to go forward, they need to make very full and frank disclosure, because when you're going to get a search warrant, I'm not just going to say it's ex parte, uh, but it's <laughs> it's when drink here. the the police are the only ones in front of that judge. You're so do, you, you just said ex parte. So explain exactly again because people asked us these questions. Mm-hmm. So this is why we're answering them. Yeah. So ex parte essentially means that only one person is there to make their pitch to the judge. There's no defense. Uh, no. Right. So the person who's about to have their home searched by police yeah. have no notice that this is going to happen. Yeah. And, and there's good reason for that. Yeah, quite often there's good reason. Mm-hmm. There's good reason for that. But they are not there under any type of representation or personally. So there's a higher level of scrutiny mm-hmm. that a judicial officer has to apply to reviewing the information from a police officer to ensure that there are sufficient grounds to give the authority to go into somebody's home. Which is and again a order big, crack open their cell phone. It's a big deal. And you got to note deal. too, like the manner of entry into the home mm-hmm. is dependent on the level of risk that's uh, assessed in advance. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's a like a knock policy. Yeah. Okay. That so, can be so overridden. L- let's do one thing. So warrants will also be laid out as to when it is going to be in effect. So you could say it's available January first mm-hmm. between nine a.m. and nine p.m. Generally speaking, you're not supposed to execute a warrant at night unless it specifically says that you are allowed to execute the warrant at night. There has to be a time frame. Yeah. And then they can allow these time frames depending upon what the reasons are. Mm-hmm. Then they can also allow warrants where it's what they call dynamic entry. In other words, it's not a knock warrant. In other yeah. words, they go up to the door yeah. and they go... Break it in. <laughs> they go yeah. up to the door normally and go, hello, hi, uh, police constable uh, Roy here. We have a warrant to search the home, open the door. Hi, officer, yes, we have a warrant. Do the police have to show the warrant? Uh, yeah, they, they, they're required by section 29 of the code. Uh, what code? Criminal code. Ah, good, thank you. <laughs> Even if they break the door in? Well, no. What, what they, they still have to have the warrant yeah, with them. Yeah, they have to have the warrant yeah. with them. Um, yeah. Can't leave it at the station. Um, but you're generally required to, like, let's assume that this is not a warrant that authorizes a dynamic entry. The general practice is that you'll need to, like, knock, um, police, uh, we have a search warrant, give a reasonable amount of time, and then if no answer, then they're allowed to break the door down. Okay, so let's say, so this is not a dynamic entry, which is kind of a sexy term. It means you're allowed to enter without forewarning because you believe some going on in there mm-hmm. that if you give them notice... I still remember what the Scarface scene was where he's just like, say hello to my little friend. <laughs> those weren't the police that were coming in. <laughs> okay. Those were, his, those were his competitors, okay? He had pissed off his competitors. But 
But so it, it so a dynamic entry is because they don't give notice. They just kick in the door and go in, usually with armed officers, because they think some bad will go on if they give notice. This is not that type of case. So they knock on the door. Somebody opens it up. What does what rights does that person actually have when they're faced with three officers or four officers outside at the door? The door still. Outside the door. Can they say, no, you can't come in? I mean, you can say that. But I don't think it's going to go well for you. Right. So they can force entry then. Yes. And And then they will detain you. But the warrants actually say specifically what they're permitted to search for. Yeah. Like it sets out what they expect to find in a place. If they find like other stuff, like say we have a warrant to try and find a gun. Um, Okay. If they're there, they don't find the gun, but they do find like uh, cocaine. a cocaine or a detailed manuscript describing a murder committed with uh, just this gun. This was the serial number. Um, it was a great Darwin time Award. signed uh, <laughs> Mr. Accused. Um, then yeah, they can they can seize that as well. Other 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 items that may be illegal that are in plain view during the course of a search, so where they can see it, they can seize, mm-hmm. but they're not supposed to go beyond the scope of what they're specifically investigating. So if they're investigating documents that support a fraudulent transaction, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be sealing, see, uh, seizing other items that are unrelated to that investigation. Mm-hmm. Even if it seems a bit odd, they shouldn't be doing it. Like, like they should be restricting it to computers, financial records, that type of stuff that's laid out to the warrant. Yeah. That said, if they are searching your computer for to fraud, a, a cloud. and then they find child <laughs> pornography. They can take then, your entire yes. computer, so it's a good, it's a good reason to have yeah, a but hold on, Yeah, but, but hold on. If they find child pornography on the computer when they're searching for financial records, they will need another warrant. They can seize it, mm-hmm. and then they should seek another warrant to do another search to bring out that information, and that is a protection for the person. But that means they can seize the computer that has that illegal uh, uh, information on it. So there's, there's two cases that, that we specifically were looking at over the last year that- Can that I just I, stop for one sec? Because I just, because yeah. people were asking really for the basics, and I just want to cover this yeah. one thing. So the police get in now to the house because you have to let them mm-hmm. in. The person who's in the house, are they allowed to roam around? Generally speaking, no. You right. won't necessarily be like locked up, but you'll at least from what I've read, um, the the officers will like will stay with you and essentially make sure you're not destroying any evidence. Right. So what will happen is the person will be detained. Mm-hmm. They'll be put down on a couch or a chair. An officer, one officer, will be to detailed move, yeah. to stay there. Mm-hmm. Maybe talk to you about football or how the Raptors aren't really scoring right now. I know it's but, terrible. But you will not be able to call a lawyer at that point. Mm-hmm because they can't allow you to make phone calls because you could be alerting somebody else to something that could be relevant to the investigation. Mm -hmm. They can allow you at a certain point in time to contact the lawyer, but they don't have to. So for the duration of a search, they can be detained there for some period of time. Yeah. Just so people understand that. So if this unfortunately happens to an individual, you know, they're they're detained, they're gonna have to sit, let the police do what they do, and then they'll have their chance to speak to a lawyer and deal with it. Now you want to raise a point about some examples. So, yeah, so I have two examples of, of cases that I found really interesting over the last year. One of them, the charge was ultimately withdrawn, and um, this, this individual was essentially guilty by association. They were investigating a, a different person, and I don't understand why people are gun enthusiasts. And sorry to all my U.S. fans who <laughs> love their guns. Yeah, I'm, but, we're going to get some calls. But, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But, um, but uh, the, he happened to be a, a member at the same gun club. And, uh, and as a result, they became friends. And he was yeah. seen going out 
for lunch with a guy. Uh, they had nothing more than that. I, you know, except for it was basically, you know, in, in this case, it was guilty of being black. I'm going to say. And, and no, I, no, I, that's you know, that's that's what we have because, to look at. Uh, because, because, yeah. <laughs> right. um, but it, it was actually really. It was a really sad case, you know, for me to like. I was going through the, you know, the things and just trying to log in what the disclosure was because there was a number of other people under investigation, and he got kind of caught up in the mix of it. But um, there was very little to connect him to the actual target of their investigation. Mm -hmm. And what made me upset was watching that there were these two preteen, you know, kids that were he was their older brother, who were sitting there. In um, you know the pictures and the the videos and so on of the of the search being conducted, and of course they found guns, but they were all properly registered and everything. Um, but uh, but they were just sitting there on their phones, like like nothing was going on. Their entire glass door from their kitchen was shattered when the police entered, and they searched every room. They they searched the teenage girls' rooms and everything, mm -hmm. and it was to me it was so sad to see not just that it happened because it shouldn't have and in, in the end they realized that they didn't have justification for this warrant based on the, the very you know minimal evidence mm -hmm. that they'd seen but that that these kids actually didn't even find it surprising they were just chilled out playing on their phones while the police searched their house and then well sadly these things happen yeah. but you know in this canada is a, this is an example though of, of why it's important that these warrants are obtained properly yeah, I mean, in Canada, you know, again, people will debate with me about this, but I've done, we've done our fair share of search and seizure cases. Um, you know, the majority of warrants that I've gone through, police generally do a fairly decent job of laying out information. But where we've had a lot of problems uh, in Canada and, and, and the United States, but more so in Canada, which we can speak to, mm -hmm. is where it's based on false information, where we've always had this cloak about, confidential informants and, and confidential informants not existing. Mm -hmm. And then evidence which really is made up uh, and not supported. And, and they're, they're, it's ripe for abuse. Mm -hmm. And it, we're not saying that, that it happens all the time, but it does happen. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a couple of drug cases where it was pretty clear that the police had, had strong suspicions, but they didn't have the evidence to back it up and some evidence couldn't be established. And one thing that we're getting a bit technical, but people can understand is you have the warrant and then underneath the warrant, you have the supporting information mm -hmm. that the police provide. So there's what we call, you know, facial validity to a warrant and subfacial validity. And what we mean by that is once you look at the, the information below it, a police may say, I spoke to Constable um, Stern. Constable Stern surveilled this suspect whose house we're going to and watched him go for a location A, B, C, and D. Um, and had done various things which was indicative of drug trafficking. And then, as a lawyer, you write for the notes of Officer Stern and the notes of the officer who is the informant on it to establish where the f*** did he get this information from, what did this officer actually observe, was there any video or pictures taken when they were doing surveillance on them, and surprise, surprise, you, you get notes that are very thin or no notes, or then you start to ask, well, if you had him under surveillance, because we've all had strong cases where, for God's sakes, there's literally videos, like giant videos and pictures of the clients, you know, you know everything, right? Yeah. But then when you see cases where they're not able to substantiate the information that's below what the officer is saying, that's where you start to dig mm -hmm. and find that there's falsity. And that's why it's very important that there is this very rigorous standard for judges to apply 
to a uh, officer's information in order to justify a search because it's very invasive. Mm -hmm. And these are important factors. And, and this is where we'll roll into people saying, well, you know, they're guilty. They just got off on a technicality. No, searching your home, searching your phone, searching your car, mm -hmm. going through your bank accounts is a very serious thing. Mm -hmm. Now, on that note, uh, in terms of just getting off on a technicality, I want to... This is something that Diana sort of touched on a little bit earlier um, by reference to section one. Um, but uh, yeah. The, yeah. The, the operative section, uh, when we're talking about search and seizure and illegally seized evidence. Yeah, this is a good What's point. section one, though? Forget about section one yeah. for a moment. Because <laughs> Liam's going to give you a section that'll drive people crazy. Yeah. Okay, yeah. section 2014. Drives me Oh, nuts. I know. That's okay. actually so, worse. Because I think maybe you were thinking about this, too, also, yeah. with search and seizure. Yeah. Because... So, Section 24.2 of the Charter states that where evidence uh, has been obtained in, in a manner uh, that, that could bring the administration of justice into disrepute, then it may be excluded by... So the court has already found... So just to explain, because again, we've had questions mm -hmm. and thank our viewers for asking questions. But so when, when there has been, let's say, an illegal um, search of a house, we, we've discovered that the basis in which the warrant was issued is deficient. So there was a violation of the person's Section 8 rights. They did not have sufficient grounds to enter the house. That said, they seized cocaine mm -hmm. and a gun. Okay? Make it fentanyl. Fentanyl. That's Even better. Yeah. Fent <laughs> cocaine, fentanyl, and a gun. Yeah. And the judge has already found that there is a violation of that person's Section 8 rights. And there may have been, let's say, a violation of Section 7. We won't get into it now. Mm -hmm. Then we move to another section of our charter called 24-2, which is an analysis because in Canada, if you find a breach of the rights, that does not mean automatically that the evidence is excluded. It's, it means it's time to call a lawyer <laughs> if you don't already have one. Right, but, but this is an important point because not everybody understands this. They think that if a they right was breached... They can override your rights. Yeah, because our rights in Canada are fundamental freedoms, but they are not absolute rights. Right. So... The 24-2 analysis is this provision that's been revamped in new case law over the last decade, where you go, a, go through a certain analysis to determine, regardless of the breach, should this evidence be excluded? Or would its exclusion bring the administration of justice into disrepute? And this is very malleable, and, and, and it's very hard to give any definitive answer. Um, and it's something people should understand in Canada, that rights are not absolute. You can have your rights breached, but because of the nature of the evidence, the evidence itself may still be admitted to a trial and somebody convicted. And I mean, it all does depend. Like, there's there's three things that you need to consider in a 24-2 analysis. Yeah, and do it slow. Okay. And, and as English as possible. As English as possible. Okay. So first, how badly were your rights violated? Good. Uh, is this the police um, just thinking, like, this guy seems like a bad guy. I think we're going to break in his door and see what's up. Um, that's a pretty flagrant breach of your Section 8 right. Uh, two, what is the seriousness of the charter-infringing state conduct? So, in English, um, essentially, how bad were the police acting, and how bad did they know that they were acting? Was this a complete disregard for charter rights, or is this an instance where um, the police, you know... How they, unreasonable was it, I think, is where... No, they're going. acting on good faith. Yeah. You know, they think they're doing it correctly, mm -hmm. but they're making mistakes. Yeah, they... Or are they knowing that they're f***ing you over, mm -hmm. right? 
that's and, and I mean that one that's has a very technical legal term. A, a fair bit of nuance to it, but again, you over? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's the gist of it. And then finally, my my least favorite part of the analysis. Um, Explain this slowly. The society's interest in trial on the merits. So, what that means is I'm glad we're doing this. You know. Yes. Yeah. So it's good to talk about. We the court knows that our hypothetical accused had a gun had fentanyl, had cocaine. What is going to do the perception of our justice system more harm? Is it going to hurt the justice system more if we throw this evidence out? Or is it going to hurt the justice system more if we keep it in? Yeah, good. And you consider a whole and, bunch of... And how will, how will it affect other people's rights, I think, is, is one of the issues as well. Right? It's not just... Maybe I'm wrong mm -hmm. about this, but if we allow this to happen to this one individual, what would that mean for other individuals? Well, it, it, it's always like a, a very flexible analysis. As I always say, other people's rights are your rights. Mm -hmm. No, no, it's true, and this is why this is important. This is that's exactly mm -hmm. why I talk about yeah. why criminal trials are the crucible of a democracy because this is how we protect our rights. Mm -hmm. And regardless of whether this person may in fact have been guilty of the offense, mm -hmm. and again. There's no such thing, in my opinion, as a qualified acquittal, leaving that aside. It is very important for all of our democratic freedoms that when the police do not have the proper grounds and they flagrantly breach multiple rights of an accused, mm -hmm. that it's those cases that evidence should be excluded and a person should be found not guilty because to authorize bad conduct mm -hmm. is to only encourage it. And, and I mean, to, to touch on a like slightly troubling trend in the case law over of a, over a couple of years. Um, it's what some defense lawyers call uh, a 24-3 analysis. And the joke there yeah. is that section 24 only has two subsections, one and two. The hypothetical 24 se section 24-3 <clears throat> is if it's a gun, it goes in. Um, and, and, and in the older days, <laughs> we used to have real evidence versus um, other types of evidence. <laughs> So real evidence was referred to something that's... Something you can hold. Something you can hold. So a gun, fentanyl. Mm -hmm. If it's real evidence, how can its exclusion really impair the fairness of a trial? Because it's really, it's, it's bad stuff. And it's got to be excluded. As opposed to... Um, a statement. O Officer Newberger uh, arrests me um, and then immediately <laughs> asks me... That's job. Did you do it? Uh, did you do it, Mr. Thompson? Of course I did it. That is a statement obtained contrary to section your, your rights to counsel, as we discussed the other day. And that will more, like even, even today, that uh, a statement that is obtained contrary to the charter is presumptively inadmissible. So the, the Crown has a lot more work to do if they want to get an unconstitutionally obtained statement into evidence. But this was the old distinction, just, just one second, between what was real tangible evidence of something that you know is nefarious, like a gun or drugs, mm -hmm. as opposed to something that would emanate from the person's body, could include a DNA sample, mm -hmm. could include a breast sample, could include a statement. That delineation was um, taken away, mm -hmm. but it's still there. So it, but you're, talking about, you're talking about solid evidence, and so that reminds me of the other case I wanted to mention, which is kind of interesting, that um, there was real evidence obtained from a storage unit of uh, basically a meth lab, and all of it ended up being excluded because the only basis for the warrant to search that storage unit was a single person who phoned the police with a tip saying that they were in a position of knowledge. 
And this was a, a person who had never given a, a tip to the police before that had panned out. So they had no reason to say this is a trusted source. And so the, then we have all this solid evidence that ended up, and, and I think it was a really important decision because you brought this up, mm -hmm. we were talking about it earlier, you brought up swatting. Yeah. And this is a very similar kind of scenario where you have police taking action based on um, a tip from a single source that's unknown to them. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about two examples because I think this is really good. You, you raised an interesting point. So a long time ago I had a case where it was literally information from a confidential source who had dealt with my client and was allegedly reliable to the police. The police had done nothing to verify the information that was provided. So generally, so people understand, when the police have a reliable source, they'll say, I'm dealing with Mr. or Miss X. This is what they look like. This is the location. This is what I've, I've, I've done with them. This is the illegal activity. They've given us a number of you know, tips. And, and then the officer will say, this individual has given us information in other cases that has proven to be reliable. Mm -hmm. Okay. But the police are supposed to do something more than that. Mm -hmm. There's supposed to be some independent investigation to try and verify. And in some instances, it's really quite silly. You take the name, you run it through the data system. That's the name of the person. They match the description. That's the address that they have. That address is legally registered to them. Is that enough? It shouldn't be. There should be some surveillance of the location. So we've ha I've had cases where, in fact, what was done to try and verify the information of this allegedly um, viable source, who you never really know because they're confidential, could be bullshit, um, it, nothing was done. And then evidence gets excluded, even if it is real evidence. It's so important because otherwise, Anybody can call up the police, say anything they want about anybody they want to take revenge on for whatever reason, and have their entire home invaded mm -hmm. and have you've just taken this in an excellent direction upside down. Brilliant comment. Think about the abuses, yeah. and this is when people say, you know, like we excluded, uh, you know, drugs or something else. That's ridiculous. They go off on technicality. Just think about it. If we don't check the sources, and I'm mad at you for whatever reason. I can call up and make a fairly informed mm -hmm. uh, description of right. get your rights invaded. They may find something that has nothing to do with what they're there for. And, you know, you're f***ed over. And that's why these things have to be scrutinized. I mean, it, it, it's interesting. And I don't know if this is like a little bit too off topic. But in Canada, a private citizen can actually lay a criminal charge. It's yes. more difficult than if you're a police officer and you yeah, want no, no, to do it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But a, a private citizen usually don't go well. <laughs> can commence a criminal charge. But a private ca citizen cannot just obtain a search warrant. Right. You know, you can't yes. you can't lay an inv you can lay a private information, you cannot lay a private information to obtain and start invading people's privacy like that. Yeah, and and there's more to it, you know, like god, this must be 15 or 20 years ago. There's a case that we did out of the Court of Appeal where, you know, we had clients driving from British Columbia to Quebec through Thunder Bay, which is, you know, Trans-Canada Highway, and it's notorious for drug yeah. interdiction, right? And these two guys are driving in a Cadillac, and the back seems to be a little low. <laughs> and the officers, who actually, we, we got kind of friendly with afterward, but they honestly said, well, they look really suspicious. They look Latin. So we pulled them over. <laughs> and then they started to ask them questions. And then they started to search the vehicle because they thought they had grounds because they thought they saw something in the car and there's a whole host of violations like a when you're pulled over they want to search they have to ask mm -hmm. if you can search and in order to search they have to give you rights to counsel mm -hmm. and you have to have a right to call somebody 
first. Like there's like multiple violations along the way here, which at, at a certain point, oh yeah. And then they pulled him over for speeding. And this was the best. I'll never forget. God, I love this career. So I, the officer said, so he pulled him over for speeding. I'm looking at your notes. It was seven kilometers over the speed limit. And he looks directly at me and goes, speeding is speeding, Mr. Newberger. <laughs> and I said, that's not speeding, no. <laughs> and, it had, and actually, the car had Quebec plates. And, in, and I don't think there are speed limits in Quebec. But anyways, um, it was just funny. But, the stop but, sign is just a suggestion. But what, what, got, what, what got good about that case was the officers stopped justifying their situation and just went with it because they knew they had, they had done this. And it became a, a well-known case, which is a standard now for ensuring that you get rights to counsel when you want to, mm -hmm. when you're asked if they can consent to search the car, et cetera, et cetera. But it's a perfect example if you think you're driving across the country and you look Latino or you look dark or you look too Jewish or you look too whatever, you look too happy. You know, <laughs> yeah. they pull you over and they're searching your car. Next thing you know, you're on charges. And so these are these are real examples of stuff that we have to be careful about. If you're happy and you know it, it's your meds. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll end on that one. Yeah. Well, if you have, so like, subscribe, share, whatever. But if you have more questions about this, because this emanated from, I think, two, two viewers who had some comments and then some emails saying, you know, we like to learn a little bit more about the law. So that's a lot of fun because we don't go back through the basics as much as we like to sometimes. And it well, brings I'm you back sure to we're going to have a bunch of questions on this one to explain some of the <laughs> that he said. <laughs> Ex parte. But um, it was fun. So thank you very much yeah. for viewing. And again, Cheers. Happy New Year. Healthy and happy 2023. Cheer, guys. All right. You guys are all empty. Le le less Latin. Did you time. just chug all that? <laughs> Liam. <laughs>